0: Good morning. We are blessed to be able to come together uh, in this place, in this way, to worship our God and Father in heaven, to lift up the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, the one in whom we have forgiveness of sins and abundant life and life eternal in God's presence. God has been so good to us. And one of the blessings that we experience uh, today are many visitors, family, who have joined us for the holiday, and uh, you are our honored guest. We are so glad to have you in our midst. And as Oren said earlier, we want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. We hope that you will enjoy a really blessed and special time uh, with your family, and thank you for joining this family this morning uh, in worship. I am so excited for all of the expectant parents that we have Alex and Allison included as they shared last week. Did you know that we have no fewer than five families, five couples who are expecting little ones in just the first half of 2019? We rejoice with them. We love babies and children in this church family. I do not mind at all when I hear the cries of little ones while I'm preaching, it is not distracting to me at all because I hear the cries of little ones day in and day out and I've just learned to tune it out. And so, let them cry. I will just go straight through my material. We love those sounds because it shows that we have a growing church and we're just so thankful we've got families who take seriously the mandate in Scripture, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, we're excited for these families and we are... We are excited to welcome them into our family. Uh, These children will be a part of our family. And we look forward to to meeting them. Be be in prayer uh, for these families as they grow. We're going to talk about another pair of expectant parents today. I bet you know who they are. We're going to talk about another child uh, making his entrance into the world. And I bet you know who he is. I want to talk specifically this morning about some figures that surround this account of Jesus' entry into the world. And they are the wise men. I bet you've heard of the wise men. Or in Greek, the magi. And if you know a little bit about the wise men, the account of the wise men in Scripture, you know that there's some misinformation out there. About the wise men, isn't there? I want to talk about these guys. I'm going to play. Can I play with some toys this morning? Would you mind? We're going to talk about these. Here they are the wise men bringing their gifts to Jesus. How many wise men were there? Well, in the tradition, there are three. We always hear the three wise men. In fact, I watched the movie The Star over this past weekend. Very cute animated movie that came out last year about the birth of Christ. I really enjoyed it. But in that movie, there were, count them, one, two, three wise men. Well, when you go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, and I would invite you to do that because this is where we get the account of the wise men. And this is the only place where we get the account of the wise men. Matthew is the only gospel writer that includes the account about the Magi or the wise men. In Matthew chapter 2, you begin reading and you see that the number of wise men is never listed. You see that there were three gifts and that, has what, that is what has perpetuated the tradition that there were three wise men. But in reality there may have been many more wise men. And the PowerPoint sort of gets this right. And if there were just three wise men, they were most likely accompanied by many other travelers and attendants and servants to sort of help them along because these were prominent, powerful men. So it probably wasn't the case that there were just three lonely men traveling across the desert on camelback. It was probably a large party. And so let's add, just in case there were more than three, let's add some more wise men here. And who's to say that some of the wise men weren't extremely tall and others extremely short? So there's some more wise men. Where did they see Jesus? You know, if you have a nativity scene set up in your home, the wise men are right there. At the manger. Right after Jesus is born visiting him in the place where the animals dwelt. But when you get to reading the Gospel of Matthew, you see in verse 11 that this visit from the wise men occurred not in the stable or in a place where the animals lived, but in a house in Bethlehem. So enough time had passed that Mary and Joseph had taken uh, Jesus to a, a home. They were... They were not still in the place where he was born. And when did they see Jesus? When did they see him? Soon after his birth, along with, well, here's, let's back these guys up a little bit. We'll put our little baby Jesus here. And of course, Mary and Joseph holding his lantern. And your nativity scenes, as we've said, have the wise men visiting among the animals. And the shepherds were there, a representative shepherd. And here's an angel, of course, the angel who declared the good news to the shepherds. And there maybe you know was a palm tree in the backyard, so we'll put a little palm tree decoration there. When did the wise men come to see Jesus? Was it alongside all these other folks soon after his birth? No, when you get to reading here and you read some other material, you learn that it could have been up to two years after the birth of Jesus that the wise men came to see him. So Jesus could have almost been a toddler when the wise men came to visit. But this is just the minutiae of the story. Certainly important details to point out to clear up any sort of false notions of the wise men. But we should never get to the place where our study of the Scriptures is merely trivial, where we are majoring in minors, where we are only focusing on the minutiae of stories to the neglect of the more important themes and lessons of the Scriptures. So I want to move from these small questions to some bigger, more important lessons that we can learn from these wise men. And I have three that I want to share with you. This morning because we can learn something we can learn several somethings important lessons as we read the story of the wise men who came to visit jesus number one here's the first lesson they were looking for jesus that's number one they went looking for jesus check out matthew chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 this was our reading. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men or magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. As I began reading this story and studying for this lesson, the question that came to my mind, one of the first questions was, why did these wise men... These men who we are told were from the East, probably from Babylon, formerly part of the ancient Persian Empire. These experts in mysteries, probably involved in astrology and dream interpretation, the study of sacred writings, the pursuit of wisdom, and the magical arts, probably involved in uh, the, the royal household. Why in the world were these guys interested? Why did they care? about a small child, a baby born in faraway Judea. Even if he was king of the Jews, why did they care about the king of the Jews being born? Well, as I got to reading, I discovered that these guys from way east were probably familiar with the teachings of the Jewish scriptures. And they probably knew about the Old Testament prophecy from interaction with other Jews. Because if you'll remember, half a millennium ago, The Jews were exiled to Babylon and not all of them came home. And there were pockets of Jews living in the east and these wise men had probably interacted with them to the point that they knew about their religion. They knew about the teachings of their scriptures. They knew about the expectation of a king, of a Messiah, of the Christ. And so they were on the lookout. They were scouting When this figure was to enter the world. Maybe they were familiar with Balaam's prophecy from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. When Balaam says, a star shall come out of Jacob. A star. We just read about a star, did we not? And a scepter, the instrument of a king, shall rise out of Israel. You see, a belief had long circulated in the east where these wise men came from, that a ruler would arise from Judea who would rule the world. They probably knew about that. And they were on the lookout for such a figure. And when God made it evident by this star, which I believe this star was not just some natural phenomenon, this was a miraculous occurrence. This was a supernatural light from heaven. A star, maybe even an angel that led their way all the way to Bethlehem to see Jesus. When God made it evident that by the star that the king had arrived, they went to find him. They went looking for him. They made it their mission to seek him out. Is that your mission in life? Do you live to seek him? Are you seeking after Jesus to satisfy your needs? There are some needs and desires that are common to all humanity. We are all looking for identity, understanding who we are. We're looking for our purpose. Why are we here on this earth? And we're looking for belonging, people to love us, a place to call home. And you know, as humans, as sinful, broken creatures, we often look for these things in all the wrong places in places that can bring great damage and destruction to our lives. We look for identity and belonging and purpose in money and in pleasure and in fame. And we get caught up in various addictions that promise us the moon and promise to fulfill all our desires and needs, but leave us empty-handed. Leave us desperate and destroyed. Many of us are searching for these things in all the wrong places. We always end up empty. These are dried up wells. But the Bible teaches us that all of these needs, all of the desires of life, can be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The wise men in the Gospel of Matthew teach us the importance of seeking Jesus. They were looking for Jesus before He arrived, and when God revealed to them that He had come on the scene, they went to find Him. They were looking for Jesus. Are you? The second lesson that we can learn from the wise men, that we ought to learn from the wise men is this. They went out of their way to get to Jesus. Let's think about their journey. If they came all the way from Babylon, this was a journey of some 800 to 900 miles. And there were no trains and there were no planes and automobiles. You had to go on foot or on the back of an animal, and so it took a lot longer. In fact, if these guys averaged 20 miles per day, then this would have been a 40-day trip. And that doesn't count the time that it took to prepare for the journey, to, to gather up all of their belongings and travel companions. These guys made great sacrifices to find Jesus. These were prominent figures in the East. They had an important job to do. And yet they left it all behind for a long journey to seek out a young boy who God had revealed to them had been born king of the Jews. They left behind their jobs and their families and their livelihood to go on this long pilgrimage to see Jesus. Great sacrifices in order to seek Him out. Are we willing to make great sacrifices? For Jesus. I'm concerned with. A take him or leave him sort of attitude. That we have. About Jesus. I think the majority of people in our culture. Don't have a problem with Jesus. I think on the whole. People have a. In America. People have a. Pretty positive view of Jesus. Now. Maybe they're not thinking about. All the things that he said. And all the things that he taught. Maybe they are. Creating. A, 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 an image of Jesus in their own image, what they want Jesus to, to be like. But on the whole, I think we have a generally positive view of Jesus. But at the same time, you've got all kinds of people who, you know, it's, it's take him or leave him. Yes, he might make a, a nice supplement to my life, to, sort of an add-on, and I would love to take some of his teachings and apply them to my life in order to improve my life. But he's not the center of my life. He's not supreme in my life. He's just sort of an add-on, a supplement. Are you willing to make sacrifices to seek after Jesus? We make sacrifices to pursue other goals, do we not? The new year is right around the corner. Maybe you've got some resolutions planned. You want to work on your diet to do that. There are certain foods that you will not want to eat and other foods that you will want to eat. And we make sacrifices in order to go on a diet or for a fitness regimen. You get up a little earlier in order to get that workout or that run in. We make sacrifices for goals such as these. You got a trip plan. You are already scrimping and saving every last little penny and nickel and dime you're putting away to get ready for the trip. We make great sacrifices for all of these other ventures in life. Why are we not making greater sacrifices in order to seek and serve Jesus? These guys went way out of their way to get to Jesus. Traveled many hundreds of miles. What are you willing to do to get to Jesus? What kind of sacrifices are you willing to make in order to serve Jesus? And here's the third and final lesson. They gave their best to Jesus when they came to Him. They gave their very best to Jesus. Look with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. Matthew says, After listening to the king, they have dealt with King Herod who feels extremely threatened by the prospect of a new king of the Jews entering the world. He feels like these guys might be in cahoots with the new king in order to oust him. He's nervous. He's anxious. He wants the wise men to be his spies. They will not be. Because... God is guiding them. So after they have dealt with the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and behold, the star, there's that star again, appearing at just the right time in order to lead them to just the right place. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now that's a lot of joy. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's the Bible's way of saying they were elated. They were extraordinarily happy that they had found the king that they had heard about, that they had been waiting on. And going into the house, they saw the child, not a tiny little baby who had just been born, but maybe even close to a two-year-old boy with Mary, his mother. And I want you to imagine the scene. In the humble abode of Mary and Joseph, Mary with the child Jesus, they come in, these men of prominence and prestige, and they fall down and they worship Him. What are Mary and Joseph thinking in this moment? When these men from the east, these wise men, these magi, they come. Powerful men falling on their faces before a young boy. It was certainly further proof to them that this was no ordinary boy. That their boy was a special one. That he truly was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, yes. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. These were fine gifts in the ancient world. The kind kind that you would give to a king in order to pay homage to him. Their very best. Does Jesus get your best? Does Jesus get your very best, or is he just left with your leftovers? You know, we are tempted to worship Jesus, to worship God, only when it's convenient for us. Only when it fits into our schedule. And I am disturbed that in our world today, worship often draws the short straw of all the things that we cut out of our lives. Worship seems to be at the top of that list. If something goes wrong, or if we're extra tired, or if we're maybe not feeling good, we'll do this, this, and this, all these other things, but we won't go to church. We won't gather with the saints to experience fellowship. We don't give our best to Jesus. We ought to remember as they did that Jesus is our King. We must not just treat Him as our Savior who can wash away our sins, but our King who deserves our total devotion and allegiance. Our King who deserves our very best. He deserves only your best, your first fruits, not your leftovers. Not a little extra time that you carve out in your week. He deserves your best. Give him your best, as the wise men did. You know, as we look at this story, and I'm looking now at the whole story of Jesus' entry into the world, Often we focus on the wise men or the shepherds, the angels, or even Mary and Joseph. But the story is not about any of those figures. It's not about the wise men and how many there were and how long it took them to get to Jesus and where they came to visit Jesus and when they came to visit Jesus. It's not about them. And the story is also not about a shepherd And his fellow shepherds, to whom an angel and the entire heavenly host appeared announcing the arrival of the Prince of Peace. It's certainly not about a palm tree that may or may not have been in the backyard. And it's not about the animals. It's not even about Mary and Joseph. The story is about this child. This baby. This boy. Who is much more than that. Who was the king at his birth. Who grew to be. The king that he always was. A king who. Provided us a perfect example in his life. A king who was willing. To shed his blood. For those he loves. A king who was willing to sacrifice himself. On the cruel cross of Calvary. A king who was never going to be in the grave forever, but rose victoriously offering us hope of resurrection someday and eternal life. The focus of this story is on Jesus, the King. And Matthew includes this account that we've read a few verses from, the account of the wise man. He includes this account to shine a spotlight on King Jesus, the one who calls himself in Revelation the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star. The story is told of a group of American Christians in the 19th century, many years ago, who planned to visit London for a week. They're going to take a vacation over to England. And they had some friends who were excited for their opportunity. And they encouraged them to go hear two of London's most famous preachers. They said, you've got to go to these two churches And you got to hear these two guys preach. And when you do, come back and bring us a report. And so the Sunday morning after their arrival, the Americans, they attended the first church that their friends back home had recommended. And they listened intently to the preacher. And they discovered that his reputation for eloquent oratory was well-deserved. And after the service, one of them exclaimed, I do declare, it must be said, for there is no doubt, that the preacher at this church is the greatest preacher that ever there was. The group wanted to go back to the same church that evening to hear him again. But they remembered that their friends, when they got back home, would ask them about the preacher at the second church. So on Sunday night, they went to this second church instead. And the group was not prepared for what they heard. And as they departed, one of them again spoke up and said, I do declare It must be said, for there is no doubt, that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that ever there was. And our lives, in word and deed, should be preaching that second sermon. The kind that causes people to say, truly, Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior. Truly, He is King. You know, Jesus is not simply the focus of this account about the wise men, the story that we looked at today. Jesus is the focus of the entire Bible. He is at the center of the story of the Scriptures. Everything before Him points ahead to Him, and everything back, back after Him looks back at Him. He's at the center of the Scriptures. He's at the center of history. Is He at the center of your life? Is He the focus? of your life the wise men went looking for him they went out of their way to get to him and when they found him they gave him their very best do you do you want to do you want to give your life in its entirety to jesus today do you want to be saved by his blood do you want to honor him as your king and lord forevermore Do you want to spend eternity in the presence of the Father? Today, all of this and more is on the table. It is the invitation of God that we extend each week. God wants to share in a relationship with you. He wants to bless you and bless you over and over again through through His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, as we do every week, we invite you to come and to confess the name of Christ, to repent of your sins, to be baptized, so that those can be forgiven, so that you can walk daily by the side of your King, and so that you can experience eternal life in His presence. Or, if there are any other spiritual needs today, if you need prayer for any reason, we invite you either to go to the conference room after worship and spend some time with a couple of our elders, or come at this time. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?